start the show. Now, plug our sponsor, our main sponsor, FaceToFaceGames.com, the number one place to get your Magic of the Gathering singles. We've got a good episode and, and some ridiculousness, I think, is going about to happen because I got my man, Dave Goldfarb, in the First Rate Podcast. How's yeah. it going, Dave? Freshly minted GP champion Finally. in the house. How's Finally. it going? Good, good, man. I'm like, I can't even believe it's still happening. I'm super stoked. All right. We're going to get right down to it. And uh, tonight we got Andy in the house as well. How's it going, Andy? Excellent. Excellent. All right. We got Rob on family duties, but we should have a superstar show with many good stories from Mr. Goldfarb. So before we start, I got to talk about some of our past, Dave. Uh, you know, a year or two ago, I think it's been a while, you were producing content for me. Yeah. Uh, you were playing some, some model black 8-rack, and you got me in front of Yeah, there were some pretty intense YouTube comments, man. I didn't play very well in round three of the daily, you know. They don't, they don't, let, that, they don't let that slide, so I had okay. to quit. <laughs> I had to tell that story, Andy, because one of the YouTube commenters uh, claimed to be the creator of 8-Rack and was like, yo, I'm the creator of 8-Rack, and uh, I think you play really bad. And it was like, what? Is that, a, is that something you brag about? <laughs> Being the guy that guy is not a GP champion. Right, right. That guy's not a GP champion. So let's get okay. right down to it, Dave. How, how did uh, your team get formed? So... Me and Jake um, played the last team GP, and we went 11-4 and four with Devin Kepke. Um, but I, so me and Edgar, we're, we're really, really good friends outside of Magic, and I always want to play with him. But uh, he's just, like, way better than I am, so he just simply doesn't want to play with me. Um, but I offered him a free place to stay, and he'll do anything for something free. So he's like, I'm in. And then so he decided to play with us. And, yeah, that was it. Yeah, pretty much he agreed to it, and he, he, thought, he thought we were going to lose. Like, he was about to bail last minute, and then... We won the whole tournament. It was it was just craziness. It was insanity. <laughs> uh, so, what was the uh, preparation like for this tournament, so, if any? I promised Edgar that I would do two sealed for practice, and I did two matches. So, when we were building our decks, I had no idea what the cards did, and he was not very happy with me. But him and Jake did so much preparation. I figured I could just chill and take it easy. So, the strategy paid off. <laughs> So, did they hand you, is this one of those things where they hand the person that knows the least, the most powerful deck, or what happened? I actually had the worst deck both times, so both times we were building the decks, like I still gave my input and it was good, I still knew what the cards were once I just read them, um, but both times I had the mono white deck just splashing uh, one red card and one green card in each different deck, so I had the more linear deck, which is pretty much my style anyway, so it's probably the deck I would have gotten, even if I did practice more. Um, but it turns out that aggro just pretty much wasn't where you wanted to be, and my, my record just reflected the power of my deck. Uh, it was just, I, I, I wasn't winning a lot. Uh, but Edgar and Jake were, so it was pretty convenient. But I guess that's just what happens. Their decks were just more powerful. Was that intentional still, though, to, to give you the sort of worst deck? Um, it wasn't worse. It was just the deck that fit more my style. Like, Edgar the first day had a blue-black dirtle deck where he was just, like, countering things and putting things back in the graveyard. It was just a lot to think about, you know what I mean? And He's definitely more suited to play a deck that's more more like a puzzle, so he went with that one. And then Jake's just such an easygoing guy. He doesn't really care what deck he gets, so he he just took the mid-range deck both times. Or he took a mid-range deck, then he played a wizard deck, and I just took the easy, easy to play, 
Um, but it, it, it was definitely the worst deck of the three for sure. Like I found myself losing almost a, a, a lot. <laughs> so you, you with the least experience, so they did end up carrying you. You said you ended up with eight, seven. Were they shredding the, the field? Well, yeah. So the first day, actually, Edgar only lost the last round. So we actually got pretty lucky because every time Jake lost, I won. And every time Jake won, or, yeah, I don't know if I just repeated myself. But, yeah, the opposite happened. It was pretty lucky because, like, what are the odds we'd never lose at the same time and through the whole round? So um, even though we both went, like, 4-4, four, 5-3, four, we ended up going 7-1. And then the day, the day two, they just, yeah, Edgar went two losses. Jake went one loss or something. Their decks were just so good. And then the one time Edgar lost, me and Jake both won, and that was enough. We started off 4-0 on the second day, so we were locked no matter what happened. So it was pretty sweet. Right, right, Andy, like 8-7, like one of your players going 8-7, you have to be pretty lucky to make top four when I think about it. Yeah, I, I wish that I could play in a GP, go 8-7 and just just cash in. You get it all. You get yeah. the PT invite. You get yeah. the glory. Yeah. Yeah. 8-7. <laughs> well, to be fair, my record in the Swiss was 6-7. and seven. I, I, I'm a pretty, I think I'm a pretty good drafter, so I, I definitely had... Had uh, uh, for both drafts, I think that my team agreed that I had the best deck at the whole table for both times. So I definitely like if we would have lost the draft, we wouldn't have made the top, the finals. Right? The drafts are pretty important, so I definitely carried my weight there, which was good. Well, I hope, despite the, your lack of spirit experience at only playing two matches prior to the tournament, of course you played fifteen more later. Did Edgar give you any quick draft pointers so you wouldn't screw up the top four draft? Actually, yeah, it's pretty interesting. So we actually disagreed on this. So he, he was telling me for team draft, um, what I wanted to do was just hate draft. So if I opened the bomb card in white and I wasn't in white, but I still opened a good card in my colors that I should hate. But I went against that and I kind of just stuck with my strategy. Um, and it actually worked out really well for me because I, I, I figure that if the guy to my left who I'm passing to isn't in that white color, I'm just I'm wasting a pick for myself and he could be getting still a good card out of it. So I didn't really like what he was saying there. Um, and it worked out this time, but I, I still... I guess it makes sense what he said, depending on what you open. But no, I, I didn't listen to him on that one. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I kind of love it. This guy who, like, didn't want you to be on his team because you kind of sucked. And now you're not even listening to him in the top four draft. I love it. Um, but but I, I see your point, too. Like, like, most people, generally, people think that you should hate draft because you're passing to someone that's playing against your teammate. But you're, you're saying there might be an extra layer where you might not think that the person to your left needs that card, right? Right. Like, for example, the first, my second pick of the first draft, I had an option between some really good white cards and a black saga. Um, and I took the black saga and I thought the guy to my left would take the white cards, but they ended up at Edgar still. So, like, things just sometimes, I don't know, like, maybe because it was the first week of the set came out, no one really had much draft experience, especially team draft experience. So, like, it's not like I could. It, it's not like they had the, they had like an extra level on us or something. It was it was pretty much all the same playing field except for Edgar who tested a, a bunch. So we we already had the advantage. So it's pretty sweet. Um, let, let's roll, dial it back a bit. Go back in time. Uh, this is obviously your biggest achievement in, in Magic thus far. But you had also top aided the GP. You had also made the World Magic Cup team. People might not remember this, but you had those those two achievements. Uh, and you had to play some high leverage matches in both cases. And of course here, top four and possibly um, the last round to make it to top four. Did you feel the pressure? Was it, did it feel any different from your previous uh, high pressure matches? Yeah, I was so anxious. Like I couldn't even, I, I was just struggling to like 
walk around the tournament hall. I was having like so many cigarettes. My body's not forgiving me. Like it was actually disgusting. I, I smoked so many cigarettes. It was really gross. Um, but yeah, I was just really nervous because I really like Edgar, Edgar cared so much about getting pro points to hit silver. So I just I don't know when, when we started doing so well and getting to the end. Like this, he's, he didn't want to play with me, but maybe now this will change his mind. You know, it was such a crazy experience. Like I we thought we were going to lose almost certainly, right? And then I just once we got to that stage, it was like wow, we're actually going to make the team pro tour. Like this is actually craziness. Like this this event I wanted to qualify for right when it came out. So now I get to play in it with one of my best buddies. And Jacob, so. <laughs> and Jacob, this guy. This guy. Oh. Jacob's getting there, though. He's rising in the ranks. Sometimes, sometimes I feel like when you're playing team events, you might feel like the, the pressure is divided, but you're, you're telling me it like sort of increased. You got more anxious because you had a buddy that really needed the pro point, so you felt like the pressure on you. Is that what you're saying? Well, not on me specifically. I just like I knew we once we got to a certain stage in the tournament, like the we just wanted to win so badly, and like once I just was like anxious about losing because it's such a crappy feeling when you when you when you have like two win-ins to make a a, a top eight or a top four and you lose them both. Like the drive home is actually just so sick and so gross. Like you you just feel like you wasted your entire life and you want to quit the game. And then like two days passes and you're like, oh, okay, I'll go to the next GP next weekend. And then the same thing happens and you just like it's a cycle of wanting to quit and then wanting to come back. So I didn't have to experience that, which is which is great. I feel like every Magic player goes through that, though. I don't know. What, what do you think, Andy? Don't you have those weekends where you're like, I'm done. Like, this was such a waste of time. I drove nine hours, and I came 65th place. This game sucks. Yeah, uh, that, I felt kind of that way after GP Hartford. Like, we, we drove. It wasn't that. It was like seven hours or something. But I get there. I, I kind of like my deck. I like the way it fits in the metagame. And then I just... Oh three, or I won three. I win one round, and then yeah. I was like, I was like, pretty upset. And then I was like, whatever. I'll just play the side event, and I O two the side event, and then I'm just like, what am I doing here? Why, why do I play Magic? I'm a bonehead. I am <laughs> dumb. Yeah. But uh, thankfully, I've got a couple team events lined up with Kale, and hopefully, he can carry me. Yeah, you can be the David of Edgar's team. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's always been my dream. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Does Kale think you suck, Andy? I, I don't think you have that same type of relationship. Uh, he's he he gets pretty anxious uh, when I mulligan without him. <laughs> yeah, for real. It sounds exactly like Edgar. I wouldn't say Edgar thinks I suck, but I would say that he's very aware that his game is like like two years ago. I would say we were about equal skill level, but now he's just so much better than me that like, why would you want to team with someone who's just not going to get you to where you want to go? I. I do get what you're saying about traveling all this time. I find it, uh, you know, I think we, we may have talked about it on, on the show before because, like, you go, you drive all the way or you fly all the way there and it's really unforgiving because you're, you're only there to make the pro tour or to get to the next level. And when you don't make it and there's no other tournaments, let's say no PTQs that you can play in, you just feel like, oh, you're going back, uh, mission failed. Uh, and I definitely have had that feeling many Many times, Dave. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. So I was going to ask you for some, some insight. What, what can you tell some of our listeners or viewers about like, how to approach uh, the format from your uh, just weekend of experience? Um, oh, man. I was hoping you were going to ask me any strategy questions. Um, all right. So, yeah, I don't know. I think that it's, I think that it's like a, a pretty fun format to play. I think that... Um, you know, there's a bunch of color pairs that go really well together. So the decks really weren't that hard to build. Um, we, 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 we almost every time had a, like, if we're talking about 
Team Sealed, we almost always had like a good monocolor white aggro deck that could splash a card, and then it was very easy to delegate the other cards, like a black-green sapling deck or a, a red-blue wizard's deck. So it, it was pretty easy to build the decks. I think that's something that something Edgar noticed in our in our first thing is that like it's it's very we didn't really notice till there's 15 minutes left, but it was pretty easy to splash kind of some like on like not bombs or stuff, but just like enchantments that can kind of get 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 through there on the air, like arcane flight, the one mana plus one plus one and flying. We had just like a red green monsters deck, and then Edgar saw those two cards, and he's like, "Let's just put some blue lands in there and play those," and then that's how we won like a lot of our matches, just putting. That card on a on a four five hex proof or on like a four four Bayloth Gorger and just just attacking in when the when the ground's at parity. Okay, um, I think you had mentioned before the show before I, I got you on that that you may have a funny story or two from the weekend. Um, I guess we had a funny story that I don't I don't know maybe it's one of those you have to be there stories, but um, we were you, I don't know if you guys know Noah Walker. I'm sure you know him, Andy. Um, he's a pretty good dude. So we all went out to dinner and then we go to this place called grandpa's and it's, it's just like chill looking sports bar. And we go in, there's this live music. I'm really hyped for this really good show. And it turns out it's just like three old dudes playing acoustic guitar. And the whole crowd is just like 60 year old grandmas and grandpas, like clapping their hands. It was, it was a pretty, it, that was pretty funny. Um, that was, that was a pretty, pretty nice dinner. But then we get there and we order our food and then our waitress takes our order and then leaves for 30 minutes and then comes back with our drinks and then leaves for 20 minutes and comes back with our food. And they gave Noah a burger. He ordered a barbecue burger and they gave him a chicken burger and Noah doesn't like, Noah doesn't like chicken apparently. So he sent it back for half hour and then he came back and he, they gave him another chicken burger. And then the waitress comes back and Noah's like, I don't want to pay for this. And then she's like, yeah, honestly, no problem. We'll just charge you half off. And then Noah was in shock. Like, he didn't know what to say. He has two just big chicken burgers. Honestly, this story, I think, was better in person. You don't look, you don't look like you're enjoying the story. This story sucked. What a ter- <laughs> it's, that- it's fine. It's okay. it's okay. You know, maybe if we had Noah here, he could maybe put his, his little spin on it. And that, that, was, that was like a C story. Not so good. <laughs> Not so good. I, I, I thought it was pretty good. I think... I think- Andy and I were smiling. I think you guys got smiles from us. Did did he yeah, have to pay yeah. for half of both chicken burgers? Yeah, yeah, that's how she tried to get him. You know, it will pay for <laughs> half of both chicken burgers, and you guys are all good. Just settle it up, no problem. But they did give him like a hundred tater tots, so that that's something. That, that counts for something. Reading the chat here, the place is called Grandpa's. Yeah, and you wrote that. I think um, yeah, I think it's called Grand Granddad's Granddad's Pizza and stuff. So the stuff could have been good. Okay, we're going to try to see if we can get Edgar to jump in as well here. I've sent him the link if he's watching. Go check Facebook, Edgar, uh, so we can talk about your win. Uh, Andy, have you touched uh, Limited over the past week or so? Uh, yeah, I've done, uh, I've done a few sealed leagues and a few drafts and watched like five to ten drafts. and. It, the format feels like a, a evasion matters a lot because there's a lot of gumming up on the ground in a lot of ways. And that uh, bombs are pretty good, but there's not as many game-breaking ones as the last format. But evasion, I've just noticed being so important. It's like any crappy little flyer can go the entire way as long as you just deal with their flyer. Because the ground creatures, a lot of the time, there's a lot of one threes and there's a lot of like four fives. There's enough creatures that are big on the ground that it's hard to push through. So it seems to be about evasion to me. 
there are a lot of good cards that are like one threes that have kicker that don't seem so good, but they do a lot because they, at what like what it was like you could just play one on turn two to block their two two, or you can play one on for six mana that makes them discard two cards, and that kind of seems like a bad rate six mana discard two cards for a one three, but it, it really does a lot because you can you can choose when you cast it. it's kind of like a split card kind of thing. So um, just having the ability to play a card early or late gives it so much more value. Okay, I was gonna I was gonna wait until Edgar comes into to, to uh, get into this topic, but uh, I'll start it off with you guys while he restarts his computer. Uh, it's on the topic of legendary sorceries. I don't know if you had a chance to, to play any in your deck, Dave, or if your teammates got to play some legendary sorceries. Yeah, we had a, the the first day we actually opened that white the white one. Um, I don't know the name of it, but it's one white and four colorless, and it gets rid of all non legends. Um, and I, I wanted to play it in my white deck, but I, I just didn't have enough. I only had three or four legends, so it wasn't good enough. So Edgar put it in his sideboard, and he kind of had this like three color thing where he could board into a bunch of other legends and just rat their board. So that, that that was actually pretty helpful. In round three, Edgar had the tightest match of Magic I've actually ever seen in like maybe five five years. Like it was so crazy. It, it went down to like just the end, and he had that white card in his hand, and he, he, he the guy his opponent played around it, but only as much as you can play around a rat, like. There's only so much you can do when your, your opponent has a wrath. Um, but Edgar can explain that game. It was actually just so close. Um, hey, uh, welcome Ed- back, Edgar, to the show. Wanted to give uh, Dave some spotlight here, but uh, clearly Edgar was the leader of his team. How's it going, Edgar? Going well. Thanks for having me again. And for the record, uh, every time we won, the judge said it was Team Goldfarb, so it was... reading <laughs> the... <laughs> He's the AC <laughs> team go for him, gets to win. Um, I, I, on the topic of legendary sorcery, uh, because this came up actually in a uh, just over dinner after a uh, FNM that, that I played in. I got together with a bunch of friends that, that were playing a uh, release event, a sealed release event, and they debated um, over how your deck had to be configured to, to support legendary sorceries. And uh, I, I thought the conversation was really interesting. Uh, one person thought that like you need way more uh, than three legendaries, but other players were comparing it to like a splash. Sometimes like in the old days, maybe like a lightning strike. A lot of people, their guideline was to have like two sources per, per card or, and you'd play like maybe slash two mountains for, for, for a lightning strike or two sources of it. And they were arguing, Hey, two, in the same vein, uh, two legendaries or three legendaries is plenty. It's like the same thing. So I wanted your take on that opinion, Edgar, because a lot of people that, uh, yeah, I'd like to know what a pro thinks. So take it away. <laughs> uh, I don't think it's exactly the same thing as that because the major problem is that you can't just cast your legendary creature and like assume it's going to live. Um, you can't just play it as an enchantment, and even if you did, like, you didn't attack with block, it, block with it ever, then your opponent could still kill it if, like, the legendary sorceries are on their radar. So generally, I like to have at least four or five. It depends on what the legendary sorcery is, uh, but if it's something like a Wrath, like, and you really need to have it on time, every time, I like to have at least four or five in my deck. And we, we purposefully didn't play the red one in our top four draft deck or something, because we only had, like, two or three. And we didn't we didn't think we could cast it reliably. Hmm. Andy, you agree with the, uh, this? You'd want at least four or five. Is that what you're looking yeah. at? 
Yeah. So th- three is the is is a really sketchy number to run it. But if it's maybe perhaps like the most powerful ones of them, then you can start considering it. But four is where you start like you're not sweating about drawing the card as much. And then obviously once you have more than that, then I think uh, you just run them because they're like some of the most powerful cards in the format. But uh, Egger nailed it from in my opinion. Four to four to five is like where you're, you're starting to be pretty comfortable running them. Um, well, were you one of those people that would like splash maybe two two sources to splash like one off color bomb? Well, you only need one source to just splash one one source. <laughs> uh, it, it it depends how good the card is and how good my mana is. Otherwise, if I have like really good mana and like this card's gonna win me the game a lot, I'll splash maybe two sources for it. But like I'm not splashing two sources for lightning strike very often unless unless things have gone quite south. <laughs> Maybe a bad example on my part. I'm just trying to think like an impactful card in the past. But uh, why not Doomblade? <laughs> yeah, okay, Doomblade. <laughs> yeah, Doomblade works way better than, than what I said. Um, we played two monocolored decks this weekend, and our mana base was ten seven, and we had one card of the other color. We just put seven lands in there for one for one card, just so we could reliably get it. So, whoa, yeah, <laughs> we just we just wanted to hit our our mana base was just like. We just didn't need that. We, we had a lot of single white cards, a few doubles, and it was just worth it to always hit the green card because it was a two-drop. It was to say, the, the white-green legend on common. Just really wanted it on two whenever we drew it, so we just put seven force in there. Hmm. Uh, and, and what was the story that Dave wanted to, do, to talk about with the legendary sorcery? Uh, I just ended up boarding it in against... So the reason we put it in my sideboard instead of Dave's sideboard was because we felt by blue-black deck could be basically everything but the like, black-green sapperling ducks. Because um, I had, like, a bunch of edicts and stuff like that. And we didn't end up main-decking it for a similar reason to what Andy was talking about, how, like, you kind of don't want to play medium cards in your deck to support one card that you may or may not draw. And, like, the legendary creatures that I would have to play to support it were, like, not really doing anything. There's, like, a vanilla 2-1 two, for 2 and stuff like that. Uh, so we ended up putting it in the sideboard, and I boarded it in against a black-green sapperling deck. But our opponents were astute. They were probably one of the Probably the best team we played at day one. And they, they started playing around it, so I, I kind of just had to fire it off for like some medium value. And it ended up winning me the game after I boarded it in. So it ended up being good. Uh, the, the, the clear was good, and I drew one of my medium legendary creatures, which was more than enough. That he, and he didn't really deal with it, so it ended up working out. Sweet. Um, being the more prepared out of the three in the team, were you actually pretty prepared yourself for this tournament? Yeah, I did a good amount of practice. I did maybe like 12 sealed leagues and like a few drafts. And then I did some real life practice with Rob Lombardi's team and uh, David Root and Gabe Zhang. And uh, the real life practice actually ended up being super relevant. Like some of the stuff I talked about with David Root and with Rob and with Gabe Zhang and Rob's team ended up like coincidentally occurring during the tournament. Uh, that thing Dave was talking about earlier with the arcane flight was actually something that Dave Root did in our practice sealed, and it kind of just clicked to me during deck building, and that ended up winning us a bunch of matches. So, yeah, I, I thought I was pretty prepared. I wanted to get like at least two pro points at this event so I could try to hit silver, and I guess we exceeded those expectations. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really good to see uh, Dave Root. Uh, team of Gabe Sang and John Stern, three. I mean, to me, th- <laughs> I, I, 
Johnson is my close friend, so calling him a legend would be uh, that that's a too strong of a word. <laughs> but these three of like the biggest names of, of Magic, um, but before my time, uh, when I started playing, but Pro Tour champions uh, in David Root and Gabe Sang. So to see them come back is pretty crazy. And not only to see them come back, but to hear that they had a contribution in your success is pretty crazy. And and David Root listens to the show. Really wanted me to get you back on specifically at your. So pretty sweet. Anything other? Any other nuggets that uh, Dave had? Uh, it was just like some card evaluation stuff. Like we we all did a bunch of seals and and drafts, and I was watching Gabe stream a bit, and like we kind of went back and forth on some some card evaluation and like what we liked. And during the sealed deck building, we we ended up doing two practice team seals, and both times the deck configurations were kind of similar. There was like a white base aggro deck, and there was like a black mid range deck, and then the blue like skies deck, either blue red or blue with like the rest of the white cards, and. I, I kind of noticed that pattern and mentioned it, and like it happened again the second time we practiced, and it actually happened at the GP as well. And I think like being able to have your mind like immediately go to that as like we can start here and look at it this way left us a lot of time to like explore the minute details of each deck and uh, really figure out what the optimal configuration was. Sweet, sweet, and okay. How prepared were you for draft, and uh, what, what did you tell Dave exactly? <laughs> the gold farm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so we we had a discussion, like he said, about, like, the... So Dave has probably never actually team-drafted in his life. I, I don't know if he has. <laughs> Whoa! And, and, and this isn't a dagger. Like, team-draft is not something that, like, people often do. Or, like, and if you do, like, maybe you make teams afterwards so you don't have to worry about hate-drafting and stuff like that. But if you've ever watched, like, team-draft Super League or, like, done a lot of team-drafts yourself... There's a lot of, like, you can go really deep on it, and if everyone is really, like, aware of how it works, and I knew we were going to be playing against Matt Severo's team, and I, I know that they team draft a lot, and if everyone's aware of how it works, like, there can be a lot of, like, hook and cutting and stuff like that, and I, I just wanted to, like, drop the nugget in his mind that, uh, like, in a regular eight-man draft where, like, you don't know who you're playing against, if you open the best card in the set, but it's not in your color, and then, like, a card that's going to be your 20th playable, your 18th playable, you're just passing the best card in the set every time. And I just wanted to, like, put it in his mind that in Team Draft, that's a little bit different because if, like, the person gets that and beats one of your teammates, that's, like, a third of the match wins. And just for him to consider that sometimes it's better to hate draft that than, than to take a medium card for your deck. But, like, obviously there's so much context and it's such a complicated subject that it's, it's hard to crash course someone on it. It came up a couple times, but more when it was like an easier decision. It was like a fifth pick card, and it was like the multicolor uncommons, and I it was just like a card that I could have taken, but would have been kind of crappy. So I just then I hated because then I just I wasn't kind of I wasn't hurting my deck at all. Um, so it did come up a little bit. If you didn't say anything, it wouldn't have processed in my mind. So definitely good to bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what about your other teammate, Edgar? Was he pretty prepared as well? Yeah, I didn't talk with him much before the event. We just had a Facebook group chat going, and like we kind of just like checked in with each other. But I kind of let him, we kind of let each other do our own thing. And he said he did a bunch of practicing, and I, I believe that he did. And like he seemed familiar with all the cards, and like he knew what he liked. And we disagreed on some stuff, so there was a, a little bit of back and forth during good deck construction. But yeah, he seemed like he practiced. He was playing around everything fine, and it worked out. He 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 won a good amount of matches, and and we got there. So. Yo, Edgar, move your head over a little bit. 
Oh, sick trophy, dude. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, Dave, so, so how does it work? I keep uh, forgetting the rules. Like, do you guys have to team up together for the PT? Yeah, baby. Right, Edgar? Let's go. You can't, you can't switch? No, I, I can't switch. And also, I can't. So I, I had planned to uh, play the RPTQ with Matthew Dilks and Tarek Patel, the, the team we top aided the, the SCQ Open with. Because, like, me, me and Dilks, we test all the time together, and, and we play so much, and same with Tarek. Uh, and actually, no, Tarek wasn't going to make it because uh, he had some work-related things, so we substituted in Daryl Ayers, uh, which is another friend of ours, also very good at magic. And uh, the, I was the one with the, pro, uh, the RPTQ invite, so they both now lo- no longer can play the RPTQ, so they have to find other teams. Which wow. Is yeah, but, uh, like, Dokes, is, Damn. Uh, Dokes got snatched up, like, 15 minutes after I tweeted about it, so uh, not worried about that, and I'm sure Daryl will find someone, too. Well, uh, I love that deep smile. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, it's just so funny because, like, if you could pick one person on this planet Edgar doesn't want to team with in a pro tour, it may very well be me. So, but, he, but he just doesn't have a choice. <laughs> there was a lot of talk before the tournament about, like, if we were 11 and what or whatever, 11 and 2, he would just concede and just good luck, have wish for his best luck at the RPTQ and just toss the match. But I guess he. He decided that a pro tour invite with a with a buddy is worth it. W- worth the invite. Oh worth wow! The win at least. Wait, how did you even pick him, uh, Edgar? How did you run out of choices? Being uh, someone that like a lot of people want to team with, like what happened? I picked, I like, picked him for the record. I, okay. I picked. Him. <laughs> what happened? What happened? So when we talked about it, was like actually before I started this insane heater I'm on, and I really didn't have much stock in team limited events because generally they're pretty challenging so i wasn't even going to go to columbus and like i wasn't on the hunt for points or anything and then david was like come on i'll give you a free place to stay like we can go we can have a good time and i and i, I said sure oh. whoa, 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 whoa. that is not how it went down <laughs> it's not like i bought you a free place to stay we can stay no, no. House for freaking four years you know the guy it's not like i'm bribing you to play on my team buddy what happened was you came because you saw some value and you're like free, free, and you came, which is good. I'm happy you came, but that is not that is a piss poor representation of the events that happened. Yeah, that count of After I started hunting points, though, I did try to convince David to let me team with someone else, but he wasn't having any of it. So. Okay, again, not true. <laughs> I told Edgar, I was trying to drop hints that I didn't want to go. I'm like, yo, dude, do you really want to go this weekend? How badly do you want to play? And he's like, oh, I'm really invested now that I'm, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I went to the tournament and we won. But it, it, I wanted I wanted out. <laughs> you wanted out, but it all turned out well. The, the moral of the story is that if you want to win a Grand Prix, you need to not want to go. Honestly, we both wanted out, but we didn't know how to tell each other. So we ended up going. <laughs> and how was, uh, was Jacob, was it? How did he get in? How was he involved in the selection I was, process? I was just teaming with Jake before, and we needed oh. a third. And I'm just like, yo, Jake's a good player. He's a super chill dude. Let's team with him. And Jake, Jake said, yeah. So I think we're going to try to run Washington back. But if Edgar doesn't want to come to Washington, we, we're going to play the Andrew Tenjin. Hey, Jake. Andrew Tenjin. Uh-oh. Yeah, that's sweet. I love that guy. Um, are you guys, are you, either of you planning to play Toronto? Yeah, for sure. I'm playing with Ben Moore and Ben Winokur. Ooh. 
What about you, Edgar? Yeah, I'm playing with Dilks and Tarek again. I have to hope that they lose because that's his only out to play on the team Pro Tour without me. That's like that's the only out he has to to escape the event. So bad luck to you. Wait, what happens like if he wins with them? What? <laughs> If, if, if I top four with them, I'm under the impression that I get to choose which wow. I want to play the Pro Tour with, and then the other two people become at large. Oh, God. Oh, my God. It won't happen. How, how's that going to play out, Dave? Like, I think, like, Dilks is pretty insane. If Edgar doesn't play on this Pro Tour with me, shit's going down. All right? That's all I'm saying. And uh, Edgar's got to play with me. Shout-outs to Tarek if you, uh, he's in the, in the chat there. I mean, wow. What a sweat. What a sweat if, if he gets there. Um, and he might. I mean, that's a sick team. And he's done it. He, he's done. Not as good as our team, but, you know. He's had some SCG success. Uh, Dave, have you tested Constructed? Like, how, how do you know what format you're going to play? How is it going to work for you at the GP? Well, I think if we were to pick right now, it would probably be Edgar on Legacy – me on modern, Jacob on standard, because Edgar... Edgar no, 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 I meant coming up for, for Toronto. Oh, yeah, no, I'm going to play modern. Ben, ben Winokur's going to play legacy, because he's like the legacy expert. And Ben Moore is probably the best player on the team, so I'll put him at standard, because that's probably where you want your best player. So give me the high-variance format, and then they'll, they'll take the other ones. Where's your mind at in terms of modern? Uh, I'm, I'm honestly not going to decide till like uh, two weeks before. Just it always changes. Everything always changes uh, when I read the, the online results. But if I was to play like tomorrow, I'd probably just run back Bardu tokens just because I have practice with it, or maybe Boggles. But I, I, ideally, I'll do like a decent amount of testing for the GP. Right. So I won't just take a deck and play it. So if I could get in like thirty matches, forty matches, that'd be that'd be nice. What about you, Edgar? Well, are we going to expect some sort of uh, some Titans uh, in Toronto from you or not? Uh, it's going to depend on what the meta looks like. Basically, Dilks is locked in for Legacy. Uh, there, there probably won't be Titans, because I'm, gonna, I'm doing so much standard testing for the Pro Tour coming up that I'm probably going to be really experienced in standard, and Tarek doesn't have a lot of time to play that. So I'm probably going to end up playing standard, and Tarek's going to end up playing modern. But he might be tightening as well, so we'll see. Well, if you need a modern player, I'm free. I can just bail on my two teammates and play with you, so, you know. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, that'd be interesting, and then like force Edgar to pick between Dilks and Jake. <laughs> if you guys crush it, that'd be an interesting spot. Um, any any early thoughts, Edgar? Have you looked at any of the new list? Anything piqued your interest from like either the SCG or the online PTQ that you're just like, whoa, what's that? In terms of standard, yeah, yeah. Uh, so originally when I was testing last week before I started sealed testing, I was losing with basically everything in the format except for mono red. Um, but I had a feeling that Teferi was really good, but I just didn't have time to try it out. And it was kind of expensive on Moto, and I, I knew I needed to test some sealed. So, and Teferi ended up doing well this weekend, and I'm not surprised about that. So I think like some sort of Teferi shell is good. Probably not the blue-white one that won the open. Probably something like an Esper version or like a Bant version so you can ramp into it. Uh, and I think the mono-red decks probably have to move towards red-black. Uh, I just did pretty well in a league with red, the red-black list that Jerry wrote about that's similar to the one from the opens. I think that's probably just a better version of mono-red. I'm not sure yet, but that's where I'm at right now. Right? I mean, 
Uh, when, when's the PT? That's uh... it's the first weekend in June, so it's like about a month out. Okay. I think I man, like who, who are you testing for that? I mean, now that you, you've got some good limited experience under your belt, and hopefully you you find a standard deck in a month. Yeah, I, I have a pretty good team for that. Uh, Joe Demestrio contacted me after I qualified, asking if I wanted to test with him and his crew, which is like Ben Friedman, Pete Ingram, uh, Jacob Nagro, and uh, I might be missing a guy or two. But uh, it's a good team. It's a bunch of good players, and I'm pretty sure we're going to be able to figure out a good standard deck for that weekend. And um, I'm, I usually jam a lot of limited right before the Pro Tour and try to get an edge there. I went 5-1 at the last uh, limited Pro Tour. Um, but it's gonna, the Pro Tour is a little further out this time, so people are going to have time to get a lot of reps in. So I think finding a good standard deck is going to be really important for that event. Andy, uh, any questions you got for the guys? Any questions? Hmm. Hmm. Um, let's see. I feel so. I feel you were mentioning like if Edgar wins the team GP with the other team, I feel like nobody's upset. I don't think I would be upset. Be like, oh, my really good friend won a second team GP and won't team with me. I don't think you understand Goldfarb if you think. Hell no, man. I see it the opposite way. It's more like my really, really good friend won a team GP with me. How could he not play? (laughs) Deep down in your heart of hearts, you know why. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, listen. Edgar, I, I have Ed, I have the, the best result with any team event Edgar played is with me, so you know, that that must say something. <laughs> oh, no, man. True. That other team is definitely. I'm, I don't practice enough to play like I, 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 at at a competitive level where he's at. So I would understand, but like I'd probably fist fight him for fun, and then we'd get over it. You know, like we would just throw down in the parking lot, and then we'd be we'd be buds again. So. It might just have to happen. Did who was on your World Magic Cup team? Like, did they make you feel that way too? Were you like the worst player on that team? Yeah, but it's not like like that's the thing. Like, a lot of people say, like, were you the worst player? Like, it's yeah, like you could say it like that. Or the the way I see it is just like I'm not as good as those guys. Like, oh no, it's just like those guys are really good and they practice a lot and they're really skilled. You know what I mean? It's like it's not like like saying like you got carried or whatever like everyone puts in their own role and does what they're supposed to do you know what i mean like it's edgar had the most amount of match wins over the weekend but he also had the best decks of the weekend you know what i mean so everyone did what they're supposed to do and you come together as a team and you win it doesn't really matter what the individual results are as long as you win that's that's why uh, that's why i love you you have this uh, positive perspective on everything and uh seeing you at events you're always uh I mean, you're always, uh, I think regardless of your record, at least whenever we get to meet at GPs, you're always a happy-go-lucky guy, so that's yeah, really I'm, awesome. I'm pretty easygoing. The only thing that could really get me going is bailing on a team pro tour, but besides that, I'm, 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 a, pretty lax, I'm a pretty lax dude. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, uh, I think uh, that's, that will do for, for uh, the time we have for you guys. Uh, Dave, I'm going to let you go. Uh, Anything you want to plug? Will we see uh, maybe articles or videos again for you in in the next decade? No, I got to learn how to read and write first, and then and I'll be good on that. I I, I, my, I don't think my articles are, are exciting enough. I got to I got to become better at the game first before I can start writing stuff. But uh, and I make too many mistakes on my videos, so no more no more of those. 
can you make another 8-rack series and then also play 8-rack at the GP in Toronto? That would be amazing. For you, KYT, I, I'd consider it. It's, it's, not a hard, it's not a hard no. It's, it's a solid I, I could think about it. Hopefully the creator uh, shows up in Toronto. That would be amazing and t- tells you off. Uh, Edgar, as usual, Edgar MTG. Um, any, any exciting thing you want to plug, Edgar, your latest article? or Go ahead. Uh, I had an article go up last week about Amulet on Star City, but uh, that's been repeated ad nauseum at this point. Uh, I don't have anything in the works yet. Just if you follow me on Twitter, if uh, anything else comes up, then I'll be posting it there. I, I post it. Follow Edgar on Twitter for inspirational quotes before and after tournaments. Like, hope I get there this time. Had a great weekend. And all that kind of stuff, you know? <laughs> Actually, I, I don't notice that from him. Well, I, I, don't, I, I don't do that. <laughs> no, no, it's it's the classic. Went six and two, but could have played better. I'll knock him out of the park tomorrow. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I can see that. I can see that. All right, mm-hmm. I can do that. The the only weird the only weird tweets come from uh, misplaced ginger with his like it's just so random. <laughs> um, thanks a lot, guys, and uh, hope to get you guys back on when you win the pro tour. So thanks for your time, guys. Yeah. That's a good idea. Let's go. Eh? We're going to win the Pro Tour. KYT said it first. All right. Thanks for having us, KYT. Yeah, Pretty thanks nice. for having us, man. Appreciate it. Well, love you guys always, and uh, see you guys soon. See you later, Okay. That was both <laughs> Edgar and Dave Goldfarb, recent GP champion. Dave's a riot. Doesn't give a crap. Sitting on his, <laughs> on his bed. Um, yeah, don't know. I mean, not many people were complaining about it. But uh, hope people were okay with the shaky camera work. Uh, though, like I thought, I thought the content was gold. Uh, like the stories and their chemistry was kind of hilarious. I wonder if you and Kale are, are the same, Eddie. <laughs> our our chemistry is, is a is a lot different. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I I feel like it's a lot of uh, so when we're playing team events honestly it's like we do not talk to each other the whole time we're playing except like every once in a while it'll be like should i mulligan that's about it like for the rest of the time we i think that for me is really important in team events because i played on team events where i've been the best player i've been i played on team events where i'm the worst player and i think it's really important to trust your teammates and to not ask them a million questions I think it's important to only ask them a few questions because it can be really taxing to be thrown out of your game to all of a sudden be thrown into a middle of a game, potentially in a different format altogether. And you have to try and figure out like their board state, how the games have been played the whole time. Like one of the things that happened is I played a team event with a friend who he was playing affinity and I was playing standard. And so out of nowhere, he'd be like on the pivotal turn in affinity on whether like you've, you've figured out whether or not they have it. And whether you have to go for like the, the poison kill, and he just like looks at me, he's like, "Should I go for it?" And I ha- I haven't seen a single play in this entire game. It's like turn four. The guy's got three cards in hand. I don't know how he's played the whole game, and I'm just like, uh, I don't know, figure it out. And then I just go right <laughs> back to my game. <laughs> and I think it's important to ask like questions in important spots where you think that their input can be helpful but a lot of the time it's not because they haven't been playing the game they haven't seen how your opponent plays their spells or how they posture when they have it or don't have it so it's it's important to let people play their own game really and just ask in very tight important spots and uh so 
during during the matches, there's doesn't feel like there's a lot of chemistry. We just play magic next to each other and then ask a couple questions. But afterwards, obviously, I love the guys. He's my best friend, one of my best friends for sure. Yeah, I agree with you. A lot of times, uh, not just like you just know based on what they play during the first couple of turns what they probably don't have if they didn't kill a certain creature of yours, which you'd have to tell, you know, uh, I don't think he has lightning bolt because da 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 stuff like that. Yeah, then you're like, oh, how many turns has it been since that turn where you found out that information? <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, before we, I, I pick your brain on some constructed stuff that uh, people in our, our nation, MS Nelson, will, was asking for. They wanted to know what we felt were the, the pillars, the, the early pillars of standard. Um, I was going to get uh, Travis Semulin uh, back on, and we will get him back on either next week or, or some, sometime in the next month. Um, because I was watching his stream, and I still remember when we played GP Portland together or Providence together, where I thought that he didn't mulligan uh, enough. And now uh, he, he did a recent episode that I have to listen to. Uh, on his uh, podcast, Men From Moto, about how he felt like now people are mulliganing too much, in his opinion. And I uh, can't wait to talk to him about that, because I was watching a stream where he kept a one-lander on the draw, but he had a two-drop, and uh, a white two-drop, and a white uh, two-mana spell. But he also had Karn, a six-drop, and, and other stuff like that. And I thought it was aggressive, and uh, wanted to pick his brain on it. And when I said, like, I made a comment, like, in the chat that it was, like, YOLO, uh, people th didn't think it was that YOLO because, like, they, like, apparently the chat and him did the math that 75% of the time you're going to get to that second land. And uh, I don't know how, how you feel, Andy, and I don't really want to discuss too in-depth without having him here. Uh, but to me, like, there, there's a lot of factor in my head where it's, like, one of the factors is also how strong my deck is and how desperate... I, I feel I need to be. If I think I have the nuts deck, I have Karn in my deck and other six drop bombs, then I don't really, like, sure, I might get the last 75% of the time, but I don't want to be dead 25% when my deck is clearly better and if I have a playable hand with multiple bombs in my deck, then I, I want a nice draw even at the cost of one card uh, against my opponent. So there's that factor I think you have to consider straight to your deck, like how desperate do you want to be? And uh, yeah, just wanted your quick thoughts on that, Andy. All right, quick thought. So people get this the math wrong on these situations so wrong. So like, let's say you run it through the hyperjet whatever calculator, and you get that seventy-five percent you're you're to draw land two. You have to actually think about how functional your hand is if you draw land two. So like, let's say you get into a situation where you're like, okay, if I hit land two and three, I think I am seventy percent to win this game. And you run it through the calculator, and you're only like sixty percent to hit both land drops. And then all of a sudden, you're looking at like forty percent to win the game. And people just don't factor that in enough, like the odds of you winning the game. Like, I'll keep a one-lander if I look at it, and I'm like, okay, I'm like 50% to hit all my land drops, but if I hit it, I'm like 90% to win. Even that, your odds aren't that good. So, so people, like, you're still hovering below where you want to be, especially if you consider the power level of your deck. So people get the math wrong. They're not doing the math on the odds of them winning. And when you like you put those together, all of a sudden you're like below fifty percent on, on your one lander. So pe people are getting that wrong. Right, right. I think it's a uh, a lot more complicated uh, than, than than people think. It's like what, like you said, when you draw the land, like how many two drops or three drops do you have? Is it do you only have one two drop and one 
pump spell, the plus two, plus two indestructible. So I, I thought it was sketchy, but uh, we'd love to get his insight if he, if he listens. Um, it is possible it's a close decision, but I don't know. I, I still feel the current state of people is that they probably don't mulligan enough because going down one card feels just too terrible is, uh, for most players. So I, I think most people, players still lean towards that. And I think you're nodding in agreement, Andy. Yeah, people, people are afraid to mulligan. I, I, I've, it took me a long time to get into the mindset of uh, just not being afraid to mulligan and just instead of thinking like, oh my God, if I'm out of five, I'm dead anyway. I start trying to think in the mindset of like, <laughs> if I have a good mull to five, I'm going to beat my opponent on a mull to five. Then I get to break <laughs> to all my friends about it. I, I, I make it, it doesn't feel as bad to me because I think about the time, like in the mid game, sometimes when you flood and stuff like that, you're going to run into situations where you either draw a card that just isn't an extra card for you. So like both players will run into that, of that variance of having like either mana flood and stuff like that, that really negates that extra card or, or that card that you lost with the mulligan. Um, so that's how I, I feel less bad. Like, hey, my opponent can flood, and that's, like, equivalent to a mulligan. So, okay, let's jump straight to standard. Andy, what, what have you been playing? And uh, maybe you can clue us in on, on what uh, Brian Gottlieb has been doing in the nation. <laughs> so I've actually played a lot of standard. I've played a bunch of different decks, trying to get a feel for the format and some of the new cards. So the first deck I started with is I started with uh, Black Red Aggro, from Jerry T's deck and just slapped four cards in it. And I did pretty well. Uh, Karn was good. Uh, but what Karn was is Karn was just Chandra, is how it felt. So Karn was a card that would push you forward in your aggressive game plan, but also help you bridge the gap if you're trying to be controlling or need card advantage in, uh, in sideboard games or in, depending on how the matchup's going. And Chandra kind of already does that. So I think Karn and Chandra are kind of fighting for the same spot if you're already playing a red deck. And so then from there, I moved over to some History of Benalia decks because I recognize that as uh, the most powerful card or maybe the top three powerful cards in the new set. And so I started by playing an Esper list that I was given. It was just like Esper Wrath, played Wrath, the, the four mana 3-3 three, three flash flyer that gave all historic spells uh, flash. And so I started with that. I was, I was pretty skeptical of the mana base at first because the first iteration had Glintsleaf Siphoners and Aether Hubs. And then I kind of got off of it and then I ran a different list without Siphoners. I didn't like the list without Siphoners at all. And then <clears throat> I moved to playing the, the old list, except I just cut all the Aether Hubs and just decided that I wanted my mana to be better and I just kind of want to use Siphoner as an aggressive card that's going to draw me one card a game. Not not like the, the powerhouse that it is in some decks. And so from there, I was like, oh, maybe really all I like is uh, being aggressive with History of Benalia. So then I went to White Black Vehicles. And so I tried that deck out and it's been doing very well. And then from there... I liked a lot of the things that were going on because History of Benalia is just a, such a ridiculously powerful card. But then uh, in the First Strike Nation, I saw Brian Gottlieb uh, post his blue-white deck. And so I, I wanted to play with Teferi because I played with it in the Esper deck and I thought this card was ridiculous. And so the first thing I did is I just copy-pasted his list, slapped it into Magic Online, and actually did not even take his mana base because I was just like so lazily copying and pasting. And then I get to into a match, and he's only got two win conditions. 
it's just two Gideons and a, and a bunch of Teferis. And I'm like, you can't actually win the game with Teferi. But w- what kept happening is my opponents just kept conceding when I'm like infinitely far ahead. And I'm just like, oh, thank God I didn't have to kill them with this Gideon. They have four creatures in play. Like, it would take forever. Oh, I guess right. I should point, point out that me and Elliot uh, built the deck together. So all the decks that I play, I build with Elliot. And um, blue-white control felt so good, and I felt like my mana base was bad. Some of my spells weren't the right spells. But Seal Away is such a powerful removal spell in conjunction with Teferi, and when you're not an aggressive or a mid-range deck. And just Teferi is ridiculous. Teferi is obscene. Being able to uh, have two mana untapped the turn it comes into play is so big, and also it being a catch-all to just bounce or uh, put it the third down is also very good. And so basically what Brian was telling me is like, just play Teferi and like the rest will figure itself out. And he he wasn't wrong. Like you play Teferi and the rest of your game plan just didn't feel like it mattered that much. And it's, it's got, it's gotta be the best card in the set. And if not, the other best card also is in white, which is uh, Lyra Dawnbringer, the, the, the new Baneslayer angel. It's like it's like people forgot. I forgot myself. People forgot how ridiculous Baneslayer Angel is. Like playing against an aggressive deck, the game is just immediately over if it doesn't die. Just immediately over. And then against like the mid-range decks, it's this really hard to attack through and answer threat. And against the control deck, sure, it's not at its best, but it flies and it it's really big. And you just got to accept that your cards aren't going to be great in all the matchups. Oh. I guess uh, so. The the kill condition with the Teferi deck is to uh, <laughs> like, hold, is... hold for tomorrow after you've emblem to wipe all their permanents and then minus three Teferi on itself for the rest of the game. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's your kill condition with Teferi. So that's the backup win condition, which I could not imagine having to do in paper. Like. Brian thinks thinks that uh, people will just concede at that point, and I hope they do. Because can you imagine, like, they play a land, and I'm like, well, draw Teferi, exile your land, minus three Teferi on itself, go. <laughs> just do that. They they can only cast one mana spells for the rest of the game. <laughs> do you think they have, like, they have it in them to play it out? I don't know. I don't want to find out either. Yeah, yeah. I hope, hope people know about the list and its content. Um, you guys debated... You mentioned you, you were playing Wrath in your version, your earlier version, and, and you, there was a debate in the nation, the group, about whether it's a, a good card or not. So what's your conclusion on that so far? So Wrath is a fine card. It's like barely a good card. It's like a fine card in your deck that has this pretty high upside. And the upside is that you get to flash in Lyra Dawnbringer sometimes. And the fact that a 3-3 Flyers evasion is not irrelevant in standard the way it currently sits it actually helps you kill planeswalkers a lot because in combination with siphoner and history battalion making multiple tokens you can a lot of the time take out any planeswalker the turn they get played with which uh, the deck is sort of weak to in a lot of senses so i would put raf as being not as good as the people who are playing decks like completely built around it that doesn't make a lot of sense to me i think it's like a fine role player where like it's a, a flash 3-3 flyer with, with some, some upside. And you got to think of it like that. You don't have to think of it like... Because you don't want to flash in your Planeswalkers. You can flash in History of Benalia, but that's not even that good anyway. Flashing in a 2-2. And then flashing in Lyra Dawnbringer is where you get the upside. Or flashing in 
to the Scarab God, and games against control is where you get the upside, because being able to play any threat at instant speed is sort of a game-changer against control. And so the what, what happens is that it's not actually the card that matters too much, it's just what it does to the texture of the game is so important. Being able to cast your stuff at instant speed lets you resolve certain spells that you might not be able to resolve as easily if you're just jamming four and five drops at sorcery speed. So that's its main upside is like the texture of games can can flow a little better for you, and sometimes you get to flash in Lyra Dawnbringer. Hmm. That's pretty. Well, you're right. It's pretty sweet in the control mirror. Um, it's pretty significant body three three flying flash. Can yeah, I should, it's important to note that it like it's not in a control deck, so it's not actually a control mirror. And I think that's pretty important because I don't think this card would be that good in a control mirror because you don't want to flash some planeswalkers. It doesn't really do what you want it to do. <laughs> but like at the same time, being able to cast like a planeswalker instant speed and then resolve the one you really want to resolve after is kind of cool. So I don't know. Raph is playing an interesting thing. It's something we've sort of seen before. It's like a bad restoration angel. Very bad compared to it. But at the same time, it has a different upside. Yeah, uh, so Dylan Hovey mentions in the chat, there's this an upside of you can cast a History of Benalia in your draw step or your upkeep to actually get two triggers that turn because it triggers in your main phase after your draw step. So that's kind of important. Like Sometimes you're like, all right, end of turn, flash this in, and then on your turn, upkeep, flash in my History of Benalia to get my two tokens right away. So that's kind of a, a trick it does as well. But uh, I'm not a believer in the blue-white blue-white flash decks. But I am a believer in like Esper builds that are being aggressive or decks that are more aggressive. But don't play the blue-blue two-drop Merfolk Wizard or or that or are built around Raph. I think Raph is a role player, not a not a a thing you build your deck around. So you know if I'm Merfolk Trickster to do oh, flash no. or double blue when it comes to play tap target creature opponent controls. It loses all abilities until end of turn. Like, it's obviously a powerful card, like, in, like, an aggro deck, but at the same time, I don't think you want a blue-blue two-drop in your History of Benalia deck. Like, you're, ask, you're asking a bit much. You're, you're getting, getting a little greedy at that point. And then, like, it is sort of okay in the later game, but at the same time, it is just a two-two. Like, History of Benalia, the card laughs at this thing. <laughs> And that's not what you want. So I'm not a believer in the blue-white flash deck. But uh, I am a believer in Teferi, Lyra Dawnbringer, and History of Benalia. The three best cards to me from the new set. Karn, Karn probably ra- ra- rounding that top four, top five? Yeah, Karn, Karn, Karn's in there. He, he, it's weird. He does, like, he does sort of a, a medium job at everything he does, but he does so many things. And... A lot of games come down to how well your pluses with Karn go. If you plus a Karn and it's two relevant spells, it t- changes the texture of the game immediately. But a lot of the time, honestly, you're just getting a land with Karn and then eventually minusing to draw the card you really want. So, yeah, so Karn's like actually a, like a little high variance, but if, uh, if you're making use of the Golems, he's just a great card. Are, are you saying, so you're... Naming all these like blue, blue, white cards, but they don't. Is there a build that like plays all the best cards, all of these cards? Well, there's, a, there's like a blue, white flash deck that plays Wrath and uh, Lyrodon Bringer and History of Benalia. And I think that the deck is fine in theory, but I prefer the Esper version because I hate that blue two drop so much that I would rather just stretch it to play. Uh, <laughs> you can't cut it for some other blue, white card. 
the, like you could play the white knight, the new white knight or something, but that card's not that good. The pro black one? Yeah. Like what's the best other two drop? And like a, like a walking ballist is not a good two drop. Like walking ballist is a good four drop, a good six drop, but it's not a good two drop. And you want to be aggressive. And actually, with with the Glinsleaf Siphoner in particular, its evasion allows you to get in so much damage in the early game that people are forced to start trading with your 2-2 knights that you make. And honestly, in so many games, what History of Benalia ends up being is just 3 damage, deal 10. Right. It just does 2, 4, and then 8, which is 12. But sometimes, yeah, like, something happens in the meantime. What I mean, what I mean is just it deals so much damage by itself. So you would you would play something more closer to Esper uh, with those cards we talked about. I prefer Esper for like uh, the mid range style of a uh, blue white X historic deck because I think that Glensleaf Siphoner is worth the cost of the mana. You also get cast down, and let me tell you, Seal Away is a terrible magic card in a mid range deck. Sometimes. It's, a, it, it's contextual, but it, there's so many scenarios where it's very bad. I understand that the 2-2 the helps uh, support it because it can tap stuff, but my god, I was playing the white-black vehicles deck and had a C, two sealaways in my deck because it was just a, a list I stole from the PTQ, and I could not want to throw that card further into the garbage. <laughs> they, nev- they never attacked me. They only attacked me when it was like, alright, I'll attack you with like all my things kill you. <laughs> um, wow. So it doesn't give you a, a good moment to like utilize your mana sometimes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you either go for that mid-range or you go all the way control. Like yeah. To, minimal, to ridiculous. Win minimal win conditions, Brian style. Uh, I'm not sure if it's better just to play the Gearhawks and, and just win games faster. But like, so basically what Brian, Brian wants to do is he wants to use pull for tomorrow as like your was like a semi win condition because it's better than the draw twos. And he wants to use Teferi because Teferi is the best win condition in blue white control by a large margin. And I, I get it because the card wins games by itself and it's almost impossible to combat it because it's drawing cards. It's keeping your mana untapped. So you can do something on your turn and then it's mana's untapped. <clears throat> and the way this card works with, Search for Ascanta is just ridiculous. So you're just like, all right, like uh, look at my top four, take this instant plus Teferi, untap these two, including the Ask the Ascanta, the Sunken Road. So you just get to look for another card. It buries people so fast, and its minus ability is also very relevant. <clears throat> and that's really what you want out of a win condition and a planeswalker. So how, how do we see standard shaping up now with, with some of the results uh, that have come out this past weekend? Uh, I see that, that people are... Ly- Lyra Dawnbringer is here to stay. So that, that card is the, easily the, the standout card of the, the new set. I think it's the best performing. And it's the card that you have to be prepared to beat. Because if you're playing a mid-range deck, if they gain 10 life by attacking twice, it's really hard to come back. And if you're playing an aggressive deck, my my lord, if you try and come back after a Lyra Dawnbringer. So you have you have to have the answers to beat it. And it's it's really sweet that Lyra doesn't die to cast down, like the best new removal spell. So it's it sits in this really fun spot where like it gets got by Seal Away, but at the same time, sometimes Seal Away is bad against the decks that uh decks like that, because they could just leave it on defense if they're afraid of uh, your seal away. And at that point, Lyra is still doing a lot of work because you can't attack. 
So I think uh, hopefully people figure out a way to beat these blue decks. Usually it's the, the red decks that come out week one so far on top. But uh, the white decks have such a good tool. And if, if you look, it's pretty hard to find a deck that doesn't play white that's doing well. Like there's a couple, there's some mono red decks, there's uh, some green monument decks. But at the same time, it's just a lot of white decks. And I think it's because Lyra Dawnbringer's for real, Seal Down's for real. And uh, the shells around it, it, it almost doesn't matter what you put. There's a lot of good cards in that color. And Lyra Dawnbringer like, just shuts down aggro decks by herself. Yeah, I'm checking some of the AO decks, like white-black vehicles that went AO at the center PP uh, Pro Tour Qualifier online had all the cards that you mentioned, basically. Yeah, get those goddamn steal-aways out of there. <laughs> I played that exact deck. Really, the Ly- Lyra Dawnbringer, Seal Away, Four History of Benalia, two cast outs. Two Basically, cards. just just switch the Seal Aways for cast downs and have some some better quality of life. <laughs> Boy, was I mad every time I had a Seal Away in my goddamn hand. <laughs> but you also recognize it as one of the better cards in the in this new set. If you're playing control, it's ridiculous. You get this like unconditional two mana exile spell, which is so important with the threats and standard, and <laughs> it works so well with Teferi. It's it's not fair. The fact that you can plus Teferi and you could have syncopate, essence scatter, negate, or seal away up is terrifying. Yeah, and I always like it when you can keep them guessing. People are supposed to be vulnerable when they play their planeswalkers. Right, they're not supposed to just like. Be right back into protecting themselves. It's it's frustrating. Teferi's very good. We had uh, green, but green black uh, constrictor ended up taking the SCG classic center classic, which Derek was on to talk about the impact of Ventress Impulse on the deck, and uh, I think that's and Karn got added to this deck. Ooh, yeah, I see. I see that list. That so. Thrashing Bratidon's in a very good spot. I'm surprised there's only one in the main deck of it, but basically, like, so Green-Black Constrictor or Saltite Constrictor is a super good week one deck because it's super proactive and it dunks on all these other creature decks. Because if if you're, like, skimping on removal or you're playing the wrong removal, sometimes the snake deck can just run you over. And it really punishes you when you pick wrong and when you get caught behind. So... It's not surprising to me to see this deck do well week one. It's a, it's a great week one deck. It's like what Mono Red used to be because it's so linear, but this deck is linear and powerful and like dunks on some of the other decks. I like it. Adventurous uh, Impulse. Sort of increasing your odds of the, of the very scary... I'm always scared of turn two one in Constrictor. Always. It always uh, dies, but sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't, and I'm just like, holy crap, that army is getting really big, especially when I was playing stuff like Blue-White or something, and I couldn't kill it. Uh, on turn two on the draw, and I was really scared of the classic uh, Constrictor into Rishkar uh, start. That's always scary. And, it's uh, very unforgiving, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, it, it, you go from being like, all right, I, like, I got a couple draw steps to get into this game to being like, I need, I need to draw perfect. Right, right. Uh, I, feel, I feel like uh, Brian's prediction was close. Maybe we'll give him, like, the check, half a check mark. We're thinking like maybe mono white was uh, aggro was going to be a, a big part, but uh, it's mainly a lot of blue white is what I'm seeing on my end, Andy, especially well, to fairy. 
he picked all the right cards. He just like yeah. thought that the the like the tokeny stuff was better when it's not. Like he picks that it was history of Benalia, it was uh Lyra Dawnbringer, and it, and I believe Teferi was his best card in the set. So like the the guy got it all right. It was as usual. <laughs> <laughs> Missing uh, rares is still good. Uh, anything else you want you want to mention about standard? I guess we'll wrap the show up. Uh, I would I would just want I just want to see how where standard goes from here. So like people get stuck in the trap of just like slamming back the same decks that did well in standard the week before, and that's why I think people are going to be playing this blue white historic deck until they realize that it's bad. And sometimes what you have to understand is that you can do well with the deck, but maybe you're doing well for the wrong reasons. So that's why when I was doing well with my Esper deck. I started thinking is the reason I'm doing well is just an aggressive slash like slightly mid-rangey shell around history of Benalia. And so then I switched to the vehicles deck and I wanted to figure out if that's what, what was really ticking that all that together. So I think in the early times of standard, like keep checking stuff out and try and figure out why decks are doing well, not necessarily just identifying that they are doing well and then try to see how you can make it do better. And that's really important in the initial weeks of standard. And it's been mostly what I've been working on. It's just I see these cards do so well, and then I'm like, and I'm do, and I'm winning with it. Like I've like I've, I'm getting getting trophies, and then all of a sudden I'm like, am I getting trophies because like these cards are good and the shell didn't matter that much? How can I make the shell fit these cards better? And that's what's uh, really important for early week standard. Very good advice. Um, are are you going to Toronto? Uh, yeah, I'm going to be going to Toronto, teaming up with. Uh, Kale Thompson and my man Devin Giles. All three of us have played in Worlds for Ooh. Team Canada. Um, and uh, again, for, for those of you who haven't checked there already, MTG Nationals.ca. The side event schedule is up already. I put it up. Uh, definitely check that out. Um, Canada Day weekend. Fortunately and unfortunately, for, for many reasons, uh, as I mentioned before, but should be an awesome weekend if. You, you manage to make it there. Uh, there's trials and qualifiers on the Friday. It's huge because $30, did I mention it last week? $30, you get a flooded, as long as there's supply, you're going to get a flooded strand promo that I imagine has to be worth more than $30. So flooded strands on the house. <laughs> on the house. For, you're probably, even if you lose 30 bucks, probably going to get your money's worth you could sell it. You could play it. I don't know. But pretty sick deal when, when I told people about it. Uh, cosplayers are back as well if uh, you want to check them out. Um, if you're a big fan of either Courtney or Ashley, be sure to come by. And, uh, yeah, mtgnationals.ca will be posting, ramping, and uh, ramping up the social media, media buzz as we get closer to the date. Um, shout out to our first strike nation. Producers, Jonathan Good, Kyle Smirchik, Jay Thomas Eden, Sasha Papel, Derek Pite, who couldn't be here, Matthew Kelly, Adrian Merchantson. Thank you so much for making this possible and all our patrons uh, in the nation. If you want to join and support the show, go to patreon.com slash first strike. Even the dollar helps. And uh, if you want to join our Facebook group, First Strike Nation, that would be $10 a month or, or 50 for the year. And you get to, to join the group where we give all our standard ideas um and also do some extra content inside and again it's it's just to mainly support the show and any discount on any merch etc 
Um, yeah. So with that said, hope you like the show. Hope you like Goldfarb. Hope you like Edgar. Hope you liked us. Uh, thumbs up on the video if you enjoyed it. And we'll be seeing you next Monday. So thanks for watching, guys. Thank you.